Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on predetermining plus ones. Do you have to say no gifts, please? We revisit tipping for takeout orders. How to manage responses to your resting, um, grumpy face? And how to handle parental PDA. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. A real quick, let's just tap in and find out where Dan is supposed to be in Bali this week, even though it's still, when we're recording this, yeah, we all get the time thing that I have trouble with. Well, by the time this podcast airs, I should be somewhere between Pushkar and Jodhpur. And Jodhpur is sometimes known as the Blue City. Very cool. Yeah, no, we, we will have completed most of the last week I will have spent in Jaipur with Pooj's family. That's okay. the city where she was born. So you've gone from Jaipur to Jodhpur. Yes. And yeah. in between, we've been to Pushkar. Pushkar in between. And I don't know as much about Pushkar. It's not as easy to remember a major feature of Pushkar. Okay. But, but it's really easy to remember Jaipur and Jodhpur because it's the pink city and the blue city. Nice. And, and both... their names are similar, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And sort of stunningly, beautifully, harmoniously colored. I'm so (laughs) jealous. I can't wait to see pictures. (laughs) I can't wait to share them, but I promise I won't subject you to the new version of the family slideshow, the (laughs) iPhoto deadly slideshow that goes on for too long. (laughs) You can just put it up at your next party. Hey, listen, I wanted to talk about something, and that's Mm -hmm. the overuse of the word sorry. Yeah. And a couple things are coming to mind. Number one, it came up for me recently in a boxing session. My friend Emma's teaching me how to box. Mm-hmm. And she noticed how much I was saying, sorry, I'm a new boxer. I'm messing stuff up. I'm accidentally, like, you know, missing a mitt and hitting her ear. Or, you know, I'm missing a step and then missing the mitt. And So all I'm going to jump in here for yeah. a second. Does everyone hearing that Lizzie is boxing? <laughs> just is that registering well, fully here? I'm doing it to train, to, just to train to get my body in shape. Not so much because I'm actually, I'm not training to compete. And you that's went very and saw different. Creed no, and got all fired up. I did not see Creed. This happened months ago <laughs> that we started this. But she did. She said, man, girl, the number of times that you say sorry. I love that this came up for you and very, very yeah. organically in a different context. Yeah. I think it was Vanity Fair that yes. published an article recently that was about minimizing language. Yeah. And I think the, the, the headline that grabbed attention yeah. was about don't say you're sorry, yeah. that it's weak language, that it's it overused. minimizes, that it's overused. And I was intrigued because this seemed like a point of etiquette to me. I spent a lot of time talking about the importance of magic words. Please, thank you. But also, I'm sorry. Pardon me. Excuse me. Well, you have a couple words that you've clued me into over the years, just and need. 
and whether yep. they're necessary to use. And, and it's really changed my thought and yeah, use of them. I, I heard a linguist give an essay on, on air years ago about how minimizing the word just can be. Mm-hmm. That when you use it to, to preface what you're saying, it discounts what follows it often. Right. And that as a, as a device, you want to avoid using it in your writing because okay. it minimizes your impact. And it really struck me. And I, I thought to myself, that made a lot of sense. So I, I watch for the use of the word just. And this article was talking about the use of the word just as well as the use of the word sorry. And some other words that are inherently minimizing when they're overused. And mm-hmm. while I really appreciate that perspective, I, at the same time, I the way that headline grabbed attention as saying sorry was a bad thing to be saying struck me as maybe a step too far. Right. Also. That there are obviously places to use sorry and to apologize. And there is it's still a magic word in that regard. But- and that's incredibly powerful when used well. And maybe that's another argument for why it shouldn't be overused, because it really is a word that has some weight and has some meaning. And when you throw it around all the time, it starts to minimize that import and maybe even starts to um, get into the question of sincerity, like how truly sincere you are about maintaining the magic of that magic word. The integrity of that word. Yeah. It's really a remarkable article. I Before I knew that this was going to be a postscript, I actually tweeted a link to it. And oh, fabulous. My, so you can go to Dan's Twitter. My Twitter feed has a link to the article that we're talking about. And I, I would be really curious um, what our audience thinks because this is a it's, a it's a subtle question. It's a real point of etiquette and it matters. Something I, I sometimes talk about in my business seminars is something that I heard once about hospitals being reluctant to apologize when they oh, make yep. mistakes because, because they're the worried about factor. it um, Yeah, affecting their, their liability or yeah. impacting their liability. And I wish I could find it again. I, I don't have a source for it, but I remember hearing or reading somewhere that there were hospitals that found they actually reduced the rate of being sued by apologizing. That while well, assuming more thing. liability, their costs actually went down but because people think respond about so this, well. Though. The thing I hate is that when you say you say sorry when you're talking to someone and they say it's not your fault, and I'm trying to say to them, I'm not trying to accept the blame for what you're talking about. I'm trying to be sympathetic to you. And, and expressing your sympathy through the phrase I'm sorry is true, and I think that's the, another it's, common yeah, use. And it's where those hospitals are in that position of – how does the person receiving it hear it? Do they hear it sympathetically and it eases their mind and it comforts them? Or are they hearing it as taking blame and ownership for the death or injury or, you know, loss of a limb or something, a mistake that had happened? This is even to do with that second way, though. Yeah. Even when they actually accept when it's the expression of sympathy is important. But even yeah. when you are accepting that responsibility, yeah. that the, the communication of that Makes sympathy it, is so important. Yeah, I think so, too. I definitely invite you to go to Dan's Twitter page and find the article. Dan, one more time, what's your Twitter handle just so that people... Is Daniel underscore post. Okay. So that you can go and find that article. It's a pretty fascinating article. So you'll have to look back a few weeks, but you'll find it in our feeds. And apparently one of the places that you're not recommended to use sorry is in the ring. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very good. (laughs) Yes, I'm trying to not say sorry so much as I do my... Throw punches. One, two, two, one... Jab, jab. Left hook. Hook, hook, hook. Jab, jab, jab. Set him up. Set him up. Back, back. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Should we get to some questions? Let's get on with the show. All right. Our first question has to do with predetermining plus ones. I work in events for the Office of the President at The Ohio State University and have a question regarding proper etiquette for inviting a plus one to an event. In the past, when we have sent our formal invitations to an event on behalf of the President and the intent is to include a guest when inviting the primary invitee, we have erred on saying, 
so-and-so cordially invites you and a guest to blank so as not to seem presumptuous regarding the marital relationship or status of the invitee. We are now being asked to call invitees and request the name of their spouse, significant other, or guest as the person in charge of making the final invitation decision wants the invitation envelope to be addressed to both guests and prefers not to use the invites you and a guest line on the invitation. I personally feel like it's somewhat awkward to call invitees and ask for their spouse, etc. names, as it seems presumptuous on behalf of the president's office. Any advice? Thanks, Scott. Scott, I'm going to just say I fully agree with you. I think it is presumptuous. I think it is also it's out of order to me. It's one thing if, you know, a, a friend has a long time boyfriend who you don't remember the boyfriend's last name and you're inviting her to your wedding and you want to put his name rather than plus one. So you, you just call need a little ahead. clarity. Yeah. But this is different. And quite frankly, it's very presumptuous because it suggests that the spouse or the significant other is automatically going to be the guest. And well, your spouse might be out of town, but you still might want someone to escort you to that event. So you might invite your sister or your mother or your friend. Your guest doesn't know before having been invited to the event who they're going to bring. So I am with you 100%. I think this person is trying to actually make the invitations clearer and more inviting because they're giving a specific name. But I think it's just cart before the horse. And I think that, um, you know, you might have to deal with it because they might be your superior and that's just the way it's going to go. But our vote, you know, you writing into our podcast is that this is not the way to do it. I have nothing to add, Scott. Good luck. (laughs) And I'm sure the event will go smashingly. Either way. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day... We here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. 
Our next question, <laughs> I really so love it because it has to do with gifts, please. And I'm, I'm for it. I'm just going to say it at the beginning. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Since I discovered your podcast a few weeks ago, I've been binge listening. I've always been interested in manners, and listening to you two has made me more mindful of the people around me. Now I pay more attention to making eye contact and speaking the other person's name. I'm not sure if it's this increased interpersonal contact, slight as it seems, or what. But since I have consciously made this effort, I find that I'm noticeably happier. I just feel better about myself. Isn't that great? It's a win-win for everyone. This is exactly, I love the fact that talking to people about things you and I talk about every day, talking about the problems, the, the, the little things that can make a difference, someone hears that, they internalize little bits and pieces of it, and they feel better as a person. I like making the world a nicer place. It's wonderful. S- slight as it seems, not at all. It really not warms my heart to hear it. That, thanks for sharing this exactly. with us. Now I have a question. Next year, 2017, my husband and I will have been married for 50 years. A hearty congratulations to you both. That is truly amazing. And our daughter is planning a party for us at my club, which will probably involve a sit-down dinner. Whenever I receive invitations to affairs like this, it seems they always state, no gifts, please. So much so that I'm wondering if it would make me seem greedy to not have this on our invitations. I think I would rather enjoy getting some presents. Not that I expect to get toasters and blenders and things like that, but some nice little tokens of regard would really be a treat. Has no gifts become de rigueur, or may one politely leave that off an invitation to an anniversary party? Faithful listener Nancy from Michigan. Nancy, I wish I could go to your party. <laughs> and give you a gift <laughs> at it. give you a gift. This is such a phenomenal question. You, you clearly have such a good heart. I love it. And I'm excited to hear you looking forward to it. And as far as the point of etiquette here goes, I do think there's something appropriate about modesty and discretion and being circumspect. Those are all really important parts of good etiquette. They're important parts of consideration and respect. And... At the same time, the direction about gifts on an invitation, I even sometimes don't like the no gifts, please, because that's a lot of direction. It's cutting off someone else's choice about being generous. It's saying, you know, this is something that that I want to be sure you don't do for me. And it is certainly not the norm to include no gifts, please, on an invitation. Uh, To use your language, it is not de rigueur. It is not uh, a failure to show appropriate modesty or concern for your guests to include that. In fact, it's really, it's normal not to have it. And you don't need to feel greedy (laughs) about failing to include it. And it's a big celebration. I think it's just okay. It's just okay. (laughs) You know? It's just okay. (laughs) Nancy, I hope you have a phenomenal party and a hearty congratulations. Truly awesome. And I hope you get lots of great little trinkets and things at this party. I really, truly do. Our next question's a bit of a modern classic. It's about tipping for takeout. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. What is the appropriate amount to tip for takeout? I tend to be a generous tipper and always mentally account for the tip when selecting a restaurant and my meal. Is the full 20% expected when I'm not dining in? Am I obligated to tip at all in this situation? I'm happy to tip, but I would love to be confident in the amount. Thank you so much for all of your help, and please never stop the podcast. (laughs) Warmly confused tipper. 
thank you for the question, Tipper. I love the, the place you're coming from here of wanting to do it well. Yeah. Of not well, being feel concerned confident. or feeling stingy, but just I, wanting yeah. to nail it. I like the idea of wanting to feel confident in it because it, it can feel strange when you're so used to tipping 15 to 20 percent when you're sitting down at a restaurant. And let's face it, we don't just get takeout from McDonald's these days. We get it from really nice restaurants sometime, and it can feel strange to not leave that 20 or 15 percent. But I want to give you the confidence. You don't have to. And I will preface this by saying that it's different. It is different from sitting down and getting full service at a restaurant. And that is why our advice is that it is your option to tip or not tip. I think it's important to take some things into consideration. Is it a really busy Friday night and you've ordered takeout? I think that's just something to consider. Maybe they did a lot of special orders or special dietary needs for you. That's something to consider. When it comes down to it, though, this is not taking up a table at the restaurant. You are not taking the attention of a server the whole time. Usually it is the hostess or sometimes a bartender, depending on who answers the phone, that winds up dealing with writing down your order, giving it to the kitchen, and then collecting the order, making sure you have everything you need and having it ready for you when you arrive. That is different from full service dining. And that is why the rules are different. And I really respect the people who write in and tell us there is a lot involved in everything. But the fact of the matter, it's not as much involved as sitting down at a restaurant. That being said, you could choose to leave a couple dollars. You could choose to leave a smaller percentage if you wanted. If you were just so darn grateful that they were open and, and accepting takeout orders, you could leave 20%. It's completely up to you. And I want you to feel confident in choosing that amount based on the situation. Personally, I usually leave like a dollar tip at takeout places. Other times, I've been really grateful for it, so I've left more. There have been times where it's just so in and out and not a big deal, and it's what they do all the time. I don't leave anything, and I don't worry about that. I don't worry about it if I'm at the bagel shop, the sandwich shop, the coffee place, and I don't put money in the tin. I don't worry about it in this situation either. I know that I tip based on what I think is going on, and that's the best that I can do, and I'm confident in that. What Lizzie's describing is a lot closer to the heart of a gratuity, where a tip really is an expression of your gratitude. gratitude. And it could be inspired by anything in these situations. I I love the way you make some allowances. Happy day. Leave a big tip. (laughs) It was a good day. It was a huge order. It happened to be ready, hot, waiting for me when I was starving and I walked through the door and I really appreciated that. The heart of a good gratuity is that that feeling of gratitude. And in some ways, it's sort of nice to have the latitude to express that gratitude how you like. I don't have any more tood words to use to add to that, (laughs) but I really liked it. So, Confused Tipper, please have confidence choosing your tip when it comes to takeout. Take things into consideration and let that be your guide. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is about resting grumpy face. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm writing because of an ongoing problem I have. Many people perceive my default facial expression as tired, angry, or upset, and I'm always getting asked if I'm feeling all right. I appreciate the concern, and I try to have a sense of humor about it, but it's something that's really worn me down over the years. It gets exhausting having to explain that I'm really fine, especially to people who I regularly talk to and have joked with on multiple occasions that that's just what my face looks like. There are also times when being told I look like something's wrong hurts my feelings. 
I'm not sure what to do about this problem since people are coming to me from a place of genuine concern and also because it's something I don't have a lot of conscious control over. What's the most graceful way to handle a situation like this, especially when it happens with someone who I've had to explain it to many times before? Thanks, guys. I appreciate all the positivity infused in every episode of the show and look forward to listening to more. Best, Katie. Katie's dilemma is it's real. We don't all look like Barbie dolls whose faces are permanently made into a slight smile. That's just not the way people are. I don't know if you can see, but like my face, my it's a slight a slight downturn on my lips if my lips are closed and my face is relaxed, right? Uh-huh. I, I hadn't noticed, but yeah. Yeah, right? And you have often seen me at my desk with a furrowed brow looking oh, at my computer. That's the one that I, I wrestle you do with that. when I'm concentrating. I, I yeah. furrow my brow and yeah. it looks intense. Intense, yeah. And I think it's really important to recognize that this is a sensitive topic for someone who's experiencing it that regularly. Mm-hmm. That being said, Katie, I think there are a couple things that you can do. Number one, and this is something that does get recommended to lots of people, especially people who are going, I know you're not going through this, but people who are going through a difficult time, they're often taught to practice smiling. And that just yep. actually putting a smile on your face can help. And it might seem silly. It might feel wor- weird. It is something you would have to consciously make an effort to do. You might set a reminder on your computer, a little alert that goes off, just the same way some people are practicing sitting up straight. And we'll get to the sitting up straight in just a second. But you might just want to remind yourself to try to hold a little bit of a grin on your face and just see if that has a positive effect. I, I love that advice. And I want to reference a a TED Talk by a woman named Amy Cuddy mm-hmm. who talks about power poses and the the power of our our physical posture, our physiology to mm-hmm. affect the way we're feeling psychologically mm-hmm. and how transformative certain postures and gestures can be. And the smile is one of them. It really has positive and health for, effects. For just Katie, doing it. I think the idea for that is more so that she sounds really happy on the inside. The yep. idea is to make other people see that matching on the outside. And and Katie, I do understand that you have said this to people before. And the frustrating thing are, are people who know this about you and still ask. Bear in mind, too, that people do in general want to inquire about your well-being, especially if they're people you see on a regular basis. So a little bit of it might just be that they are checking in because they aren't sure. Because if your face does look a little a little sad or a little just forlorn on a daily basis, they, they want to make sure it's not just the resting facial expression, but that you truly are okay. So whenever someone asks and it feels a little hurtful, you might just want to try to remind yourself of that. They're just checking in because it's hard to tell with me. And that can help. Other things that can help you, really having a positive tone in your voice and a positive posture, I think those things are going to go a long way. So sitting up straight, projecting the energy that you clearly have out there, I think can really help even when you're doing the stupidest, simplest of tasks, like washing your coffee mug in the office sink, you know, just having those shoulders back and that little bit of that smile on your face, it might help just a little bit. Or when someone comes in and you're, you're, you know, in that office kitchen saying, oh, hey, how's it going? They're automatically going to know nothing's wrong with you, that you're having a good day. I think that's really sound advice. I, I like all the different ways you're thinking about it. Katie, we sure hope that helps, and we wish you the best of luck moving forward, and thanks for your feedback on the show. I really love our next question. It's actually one we haven't gotten yet. It's about parental PDA. 
Hello, Dan and Lizzie. I have two questions, both about dealing with how to handle parents who are dating as an adult child. I'm 30 years old, and my father, who's been divorced from my mother for nearly two decades and has rarely dated anyone in that time, has been dating a woman for nearly two years now. I'm thrilled for him, and he is very happy. The problem is that he and this woman put on quite a show of PDA when we are out in public. There is excessive cuddling, kissing, cheek smooshing, and private conversations being whispered into each other's ear, many of which interrupt the group conversation. Frankly, I find it nauseating and tend to shut down at a certain point when spending time with them as a result. My husband and I have been married for just over a year and never have been this publicly affectionate. Although I would like to spend more time with my father and his girlfriend, I just can't handle the PDA. How do you recommend approaching this subject? Should I call them out in the middle of the situation in a lighthearted yet stern way? Should I call or email my father about it? And if I do, how might this conversation be worded? Surely it would get back to the girlfriend, and I don't want her to feel alienated. Many thanks, Anonymous. Anonymous. I've got to confess, when I when I was reading this, my first thought was, it's sort of adorable. It's a little cute, maybe. It's a little cute and a little gross, too. Like, not that <laughs> not that adults shouldn't be allowed to be publicly affectionate. You know, I mm-hmm. think that's true. And, you know, you sh- I, I, she's clearly happy. But yeah. at the same time, it's like there's overkill with anybody. I don't care what age you are. I don't care the nature of the relationship. There's just it's like, come on. We're especially the whispered conversations there, that I think is not OK. There is something magic about love when it's <laughs> discovered any time in life. And th- you certainly can get wrapped up and carried away in that moment. And I guess that's the part of it that I find that I find heartwarming. But you're you're, you're right. It very quickly can start to cross the line where it starts to make other people feel uncomfortable. Barftastic, yeah. Barftastic. And I think the whisper is a good point of etiquette. It's a really good point of etiquette. A point to begin to home in on. Because it's definitely something that pretty much in any situation, people are going to perceive whispering as secretive and Whispering's bad etiquette, just straight up. There is no mince in that one. As far as how to approach and talk to your father about what your boundaries are and what you're comfortable with, I think that both of the options that you put on the table are viable. The lighthearted but firm option of really just addressing them in the moment when it's happening, I think, is is one option on the table and is certainly appropriate if handled well. All right, you two. <laughs> Maybe enough of that. Are there others around? Or I mean, there are other ways. There, there are ways with a, just a, a hint of humor and a little bit of good nature that you may be able to communicate to them that you're not entirely comfortable and it would be a good idea to tone it down a bit. That's option one. What's option two? Talk to your father. Yeah, I'm totally with that. <laughs> do it in private. Ask permission to have the conversation. And... Do all the things that you would do to approach any difficult conversation. Tell him that if the shoe were on the other foot, you would appreciate it if he would feel comfortable talking to you, that you would want to know about something like this if it was going on, that you respect him, that you care about him, that you care about his happiness in this new relationship. That you like the girlfriend. That you like her. Can't wait to spend more time with her. You can fill out the context of the situation in any way that's true, (laughs) but give that situation some context and then also allow yourself to express your discomfort, to let him know that... While you are happy for him, that this particular behavior and talk about what that behavior is makes you feel a certain way and take responsibility for how you feel and that it's that it's your reaction. And then he can make a good choice about how to proceed. 
I would definitely say something like, Dad, I'm I'm so excited for you. Jennifer is so wonderful. And it absolutely thrills me to see you so happy and giddy and, and like a schoolboy with her. It's really something. But I do have one request, and that's just if you two could tone down the PDA when we're out to dinner together or when we're hanging out, because it does make me a little uncomfortable. And, you know, a quick kiss in the kitchen while you're cooking dinner together, sure, one thing. But at the table, when you, when you whisper conversations, it makes me feel excluded. It makes me feel like I'm a part of something I shouldn't be a part of. And and I want you to be happy, but I need to feel comfortable when we all hang out because I want to hang out with both of you more. Do you think that's something you guys would be willing to do around me? This is where I'm fist bumping my cousin in studio <laughs> because I, the other thought I had, I, I really think everything you said there is appropriate and, and the wise sort of smart approach. And at the same time, whenever you bring up a difficult situation, you have to be prepared to listen to what the other person says in response for them to have an emotional reaction. I can't believe you would talk to me about these things. It's, it might be received well. It might not be received yeah. well. And part of raising a difficult topic like this is being prepared to listen, being prepared to hear someone else, being prepared to give them the time to deal with the emotions that come up. Oftentimes, our first emotions aren't the ones that we turn to when we really process something later on. So even if that initial response isn't so receptive, your willingness to engage a difficult topic like this might result in some changes in behavior, whether they're agreed to in that moment or not. But I, I love when Lizzie gave the sample script, she she created that space for your father to jump into that conversation and tell you what he's thinking and, and, and offer his response and reaction to what you're saying also. I think that's going to go a long way towards setting you up for success in that in that moment. We sure hope that helps. And we're, we're so happy that there is so much love in the world and that you've shared a little bit of that with us today. To make a good impression, you must know what to do. I have heard all of our love land and all of its mission. But I know I'll never get to love land unless I'm wrapped up in your arms. Got to take it with you. Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your question on the show or if you have a comment about one of our questions, feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. I'd love to go to love land with you. Pretty baby, cause my love I love our postscript segment this week because it is about contingency plans, as my mother calls them, derangements, which is you, you make plans and then everything goes right. So you, you de- make you arrangements? De- yeah, you derange things. And derangements. We're range, ranging, arranging, and deranging. Yeah. Um, but I love, I love derangements, which you will hear me call it all the time, because I think they are the mark of a really great host, Um, a host who is able to take something that they have perfectly planned out and really prepared themselves for and handle it when, you know, the guest shows, the extra guest shows up or when the dinner burns or it rains on your picnic, it rains (laughs) on the picnic, whatever it is, a host that can turn that sometimes into an even more memorable party than if everything had gone perfectly as planned is truly a host who cares about 
about the good time that her guests are having and and who can roll with it and go with the flow. And I think that that's awesome. So we are going to read a little bit about contingency plans for parties from Emily Post's Great Get-Togethers. This is a book my sister and I wrote together. So much of it is my mom, and I love that. It's a great, solid little party book, and it's fun to talk about the fun parts of etiquette, which are entertaining. I think about Trisha when I think about this book. Oh, you can't not. The book is dedicated for our mother, the most lovely and gracious hostess. Your warmth, laughter, and sparkling wit has taught us what a joy entertaining can be. You not only set a beautiful table, but a shining example as well. That says it all. While you flip to your page, your father's toast at our last meal together to your mother and the work that she did putting that together was a a Peter Post classic. Totally was. Okay, so contingency plans from page 22 of Emily Post's Great Get-Togethers. Some guests are late. Wait 15 to 20 minutes, and then you may start without them. If a guest breaks or spills something, smooth over the incident and clean the mess up quickly. The guest should apologize and offer to do what he or she can to resolve the situation. But if the guest doesn't, chalk it up to the cost of entertaining a less than considerate guest. This just happens sometimes. Sometimes things break. Sometimes things spill. The mark of good etiquette is how it equips you to deal with difficult things, not how it equips you to assess someone else. So, oh, he should be offering to pay for that. Not the point of etiquette. The point of etiquette being, I'm entertaining. How do I move through this with grace and poise? A guest makes an ethnic slur or an offensive joke. Interrupt immediately and change the subject or ask for his help in another room where you can tell him that his off-color jokes or remarks are making others uncomfortable. You don't even have to put it on others. I think you can say they're making me uncomfortable. And I would prefer that you not say them at, at the table. Follow up by being sure to apologize privately to anyone who may have been offended. Again, you're not making excuses for the person who caused the offense. What you are doing is saying... I am so sorry that that happened at my house, at my table. (laughs) Unexpected guests show up at your door. This is the classic, right? (laughs) Greet them graciously and do your best to include them. Set extra places at the table if possible. Even if your place settings aren't an exact match, it won't matter. If all else fails, eat on laps in the living room. Just change the whole order of how things are going to happen for the evening. Doesn't matter. What matters is accommodating people. Absolutely. Later on, you can talk to the guest who brought the extra guests and just say, hey, (laughs) next time a little heads up would be really helpful. But in the moment, you do everything you can to make it feel like these people were just a part of the party already planned on. If a guest has had too much to drink, you want to cut off the alcohol immediately and take their car keys. Offer him or her a place to sleep for the night or drive them home yourself and see them inside safely. You don't just drop them off on the front step. You actually make sure they get in the door. Stick them in a cab. Yeah, you don't just stick them <laughs> in a cab. in their pocket. Yeah, no, like that does not work. And I love that Dan brought up the cab thing because a lot of people think, oh, I'll just put them in a cab. You have no idea if they wind up saying, take me to a bar, take me here, take me there. You want to make sure you get that person home or you keep them at your house. It is incredibly important, especially as hosts are liable. You say safety trumps etiquette. Exactly. Well, and on your homeowner's insurance, you are liable for anyone you serve alcohol to. That's a really big deal. 
if there's not enough food, and this one always stresses me out, I'm like, oh my goodness, what if I don't make enough food? Plate the food as opposed to doing a buffet and use smaller portions Ah. of what's short and larger ones of what's in good supply. Augment the salad and add bread if possible. Signal FHB, family hold back. So you and your spouse, you and your partner, or you and your children take just a little bit less. You all know you can have a PB&J after the party and it'll be just fine. And finally, if dinner is overcooked, undercooked, or otherwise a complete disaster, laugh and break out the takeout menus. (laughs) Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had the dinner be such a disaster oh, that you had to order takeout? We experimented with celeriac, and it was horrible. Really? Just so bitter. You just couldn't even eat it. It was just— What did you guys do? Um, I think it was the PB&J option. Yeah. I think, like, box, box food up. out of the cupboard became option cheese B about a half hour later. Exactly. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, I grew up in an area, so did you, where we didn't have delivery. So no. if dinner was a wreck, you had to go to the <laughs> cupboards and whatever was there or someone was running to the grocery store to save the day. And, and so for me, that's an entertaining tip is that you have an emergency pantry. That's the um, – we have a we have a YouTube video. One of our etiquette bites is on the impromptu party, and it's this great list of stuff actually comes from this book that my mom had come up with so that you could actually really serve pretty – Pretty elegant party, even on just stuff you can keep in your pantry. Six to eight people showed up on a Sunday afternoon. Could you just lay out some food and all of a sudden it's a little fat? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we hope that that helps with some of your contingency plans as you uh, become better and better hosts. Hopefully you won't have to use them, but at least they're there in your back pocket should you need them. How long now before you'll be going out to make your own way in the world? Not very long, I guess. And whatever you do, wherever you go, you want to put your best foot forward. Today's etiquette salute begins. Hello, Dan and Lizzie. My salute is to my coworkers. I'm a 22-year-old college graduate who started my first big girl job in October. I say big girl because it requires integration into a professional setting and comes with a salary and an office. Rather a change from my past jobs in food service and tourist traps. I was exceedingly nervous about fitting in and scared I wouldn't measure up to expectations when I accepted the position, but from the start, I've been warmly welcomed into the office. As an orientation, each executive cleared time out of his or her schedule to sit with me for an hour or so and tell me about the company from their point of view and how their position would interact with mine. I learned so much about the company, and after only a week, I had a solid start with getting to know people. At an event shortly after my hire date, multiple people sought me out to welcome me to the family said in such a genuine and heartfelt way that I was blown away. Everyone has taken the Enneagram test, a personality test, and it's not uncommon for people to be heard discussing their type and asking how they can help communicate and work better by understanding what makes people tick. Even now, after several months, people will stop by my office just to tell me that they saw that I had done such and such and that they liked what I'd done in this part or that. They encourage me daily and work to empower me to do my job and do it well. I'm so grateful for my position, the wonderful company I've joined, and the incredible people who make up our little family. Gratefully, Emmy Kate. Emmy, thank you for sharing. So often the people we work with are the people we spend almost the most time with. and During a week, it's true. To really be able to appreciate those people and to think of them as a little family all to themselves is, is a really special situation to find yourself in. And it's worth acknowledging coworkers who work hard to create an environment like that. You see what I mean about putting your best foot forward?
Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for spending some of your week with us. And remember, there's no show without you. So please send us your etiquette questions, your comments and suggestions, and of course, your etiquette salutes. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the incredible Hans Buto. 